quite true. All right, let's go to this message for today, which comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He'll talk to me in a minute. There it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the first nine verses. Will you stand with me? We're going to read those nine verses out of 2 Corinthians and talk about God's plan of salvation. I think I can do this. I think I can. I think I can. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Here we go. There it is. You'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is. Then, Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. I was unsure of how to go about this, and I felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death, if you want the truth of it, and so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else. But the message came through anyway. God's spirit and God's power did it, which made it clear that your life of faith is a response to God's power. Your life of faith is a response to God's power, not to some fancy mental or emotional footwork. So when you make gains in God, you didn't make, make gains in Him because you studied or you got bright or had some mental or emotional footwork, but because you have a step of, taken a step of faith in Him. Uh, some, not some fancy mental or emotional footwork by me or anyone else, he says. We, of course, have plenty of wisdom to pass on to you once you get your feet on firm spiritual ground. There is plenty of wisdom in the Word of God, but you need to be stable before you can receive it. But it's not popular wisdom, the fashionable wisdom of high-priced experts that will be out of date in a year or so. God's wisdom is something mysterious that goes deep into the interior of his purposes. You don't find it lying around on the surface. It's not the latest message, but more of the more like the oldest. What God determined as the way to bring out his best in us long before we ever arrived on the scene. The experts of our day haven't a clue about what this eternal plan is. If they had, they wouldn't have killed the master of the God-designed life on a cross. That's why we have this scripture text. No one's ever seen or heard anything like this. Never so much as imagined anything quite like it. What God has arranged for those who love him. But you've seen and heard it because God by his spirit has brought it all out into the open before you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. Minister to our hearts this morning as we look at it. May we understand uh, your truth and your purpose working in us is simple and plain, not some fancy, elaborate, uh, difficult-to-understand scheme, but just basic truth and faith in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Bless us in your word today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
interesting passage of Scripture. I want to work on uh, verse 8 when we get there. But uh, as we start out, he says, uh, When I came to you, I didn't come to you, brothers, proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, Paul had been to the city of Corinth. This is the book of Corinthians. So Paul had been to the city of Corinth where this book is addressed to the church that's in Corinth. And he'd been there and he'd ministered and he raised up a church in the city of Corinth. And now he's writing to remind them of some of the things that he had taught them before and to correct certain situations that had come up in that particular church. But what's of interest is that before Paul went to Corinth, he was in Athens. Now, that just may sound like a road trip to you, except when you know and understand that uh, the city of Athens is where the Areopagus is. The city of Athens was where all of the philosophers and mentally, spiritually elite people lived in Athens. It was a great city of knowledge and wisdom and intellect. And if you'll remember back in the book of Acts, uh, there's a description there of Paul going into the city of Athens and preaching to the folks about the unknown God. Paul was invited to come and speak at the Areopagus, which was the, the highest uh, platform of wisdom in the city of Athens. And so he was invited to come and speak. I don't know, it would be like you or I being invited to go to Harvard and give a lecture. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? What have I got to say that I could say it, that I would be willing to say to a bunch of Harvard elites or, you know, Yale or Oxford or any of the great uh, learning centers of the world that you get invited there and you get to speak? Well, Paul got invited and he got to speak. But listen, for Paul, that wasn't any great challenge. Remember, Paul was highly intellectual. In fact, it was King Agrippa, again, in the book of Acts, that, that said, uh, Paul, much learning has made you mad as Paul expounded the gospel of Jesus Christ to the king. He said, much learning has made you mad. So, so even the king recognized, man, this guy is really, really sharp. He has, you know, degrees going on, you know, after his name. He's a highly educated, one of the most best educated men of his time was Paul. So he goes to the Areopagus and hears people that are just sitting around talking in all of their lofty, philosophical terminology and so forth and uh, Paul gets up there and he makes a, a great case about Jesus Christ being king of kings and lord of lords but he does it in the wisdom and knowledge that was current in Athens and they sat around and they listened to Paul expound on these themes and on these ideas and they went wow boy that's an amazing new teaching we never heard that kind of teaching here before. Wow, we'd like to hear you come again sometime. Did you enjoy what Paul had to say today? How many of you really enjoyed what Paul... Oh, and I'm sure there was a round of applause, you know, as the bearded, gray elites stood around and said, that was, that was a wonderful lecture that Paul gave today. Wasn't that great? But not one convert. Not one person came to Jesus because of what Paul preached that day. He had presented the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of its loftiness and all of its philosophy 
but it didn't change a heart. And he left Athens and he went to Corinth. So when he's writing to Corinth, he said, when I came to you, I didn't use any lofty words. I didn't use any fancy language. I didn't try to impress you with philosophy into my education. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Listen, all you need to talk about is who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Too often, believers are intimidated into thinking, well, I've got to be able to answer every question a Mormon might dream up. No, you don't. All you need to do is tell them about your story. Well, I need to be able to answer every argument that a Jehovah's Witness could throw at me. You know, I need to understand how to talk to a Scientologist. Sure you do. You already know how to talk to a Scientologist. Tell him who you were, tell him what Jesus did for you, and tell him who you are now. That's the only story you've got. And if you try to weave in your philosophy, your intellect, your wisdom, you'll mess the story up. In Operation Solid Life class, we have a requirement with each of those students that they learn to tell their story in two minutes. Tell your story in two minutes. Well, in two minutes, you can't cover much ground. Well, let's see, I was born in 1942, and I came to the internet, and I went to school here, and I went to school there, and I did this, and my grandfather was that, and my uncle was this, and my aunt was that, and, and I went to this, and now my dad did that, and my mother didn't. And, well, I'd be two or three hours. So OSL says, no, no, tell your story in two minutes. This is who I used to be. This is what my life was like. I was out there on the street, I was doing this, I was doing that, I was messed up in my marriage, I was messed up in my relationships, whatever your story may be, however it is, this is who I used to be. And then somebody came and began to tell me about Jesus, whether it happened in church or in the park or however it came, however it came about that you came to learn about Jesus Christ and you decided to give Jesus Christ a chance and accepted him as Lord and Savior and then you watch God transform your life. That's your story. Stick to it. Don't try to tell them you've got a degree in science and engineering, you know. Don't try to tell them that you're, that you're uh, you know, they should trust you and they should believe what you tell them because you're such a great geologist. That isn't going to work. It's simply you giving the message of Jesus Christ in terms of who you are and what he's done for you. That's it. And if you think that you need some wisdom and philosophy in order to convince somebody, what you will find out is what Paul found out. Wisdom and philosophy will convince no one. It'll only bring more questions. So Paul said, I just came and I decided I'd preach Jesus and him crucified. He goes on to say, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. My speech, my message weren't in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith might not rest in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know, one of the most impressive things you can do for your neighbor is pray for him. You got a problem? Your kid is acting up? You don't have enough money to pay the rent? Let me pray. Why, you knucklehead, I don't need prayer. I need money. Well, let me pray. And when God answers that prayer... They'll say, wait a minute, there must be something to that. They prayed and this happened. That's the power of God. So we don't want to demonstrate in our philosophy. We demonstrate in our 
simplicity of who Jesus is and the power and wisdom that he works in. He goes on to say, yet among mature, the mature Christians, we do impart wisdom. There is great spiritual knowledge and wisdom for believers that are ready to receive it. We just talked about some when we talked about four blood moons. Go tell your neighbor about four blood moons. You know what you'll get is, <laughs> are you crazy? You go down to church where that silly Pastor Dean talks? Are you nuts? What's the matter with you? Don't you know anything? Why? Science has all that wired. We've got all the answers. That's nonsense. I saw a demonstration of that this week. In fact, my, uh, my cousin's daughter, which makes her my second cousin, I think, uh, posted on Facebook. I posted last week's sermon on there, you know, and put it on there so people could find it on Four Blood Moons. And she commented and said, uh, Uncle Dean, that's just great. I, I really enjoyed that but it causes me great concern because my daughter is only five years old and, and I'm ready to meet Jesus, but I want to see her grow up. I want to see her graduate from school and get married. And, you know, I want to do all the things that life has to do. And so, so I'm torn between, yes, I want to go and be with Jesus, but yet I want to stay and, and help my daughter. What do I do? I don't know how to feel. I'm, I'm worried. And I answered her back and said, you and every other Christian I know. I don't understand how well that works. You know? Can I tell you exactly what's going to happen the minute the rapture takes place? No. I can't. But this I do know. I know the God that's going to rescue me is a good God. He has good plans for me. And however it turns out, it's going to be good. I said, so put your faith and trust in that and, and uh, thank God for it. And, and remember that God loves your daughter even more than you do, if that's possible. And she liked my comment. But instantly she had a dozen of her friends. This is a young lady, of course, in her 20s. Instantly had a dozen of her friends say, Are you out of your mind? Have you lost it altogether? You believe that Bible garbage-gook? You believe that crazy conspiracy nonsense? Don't you understand the church is just spreading fear in order to get money? Don't you understand this is a bunch of stupidity? And it went on and on and on, and you just go, oh, my goodness. You see, among my peers, old, old dudes like me, they would say, yeah, there's something to that. You know, that's, that's good, good to hear. But young people are going, no, what a joke. What, a, what foolishness. You see, that's because to the mature, you can receive mature things. You go try to tell your neighbor about Blood Moon and see how, long, how much iced tea they pour for you. They'll say, you're out of here. I, I don't want to hear that. Don't, don't bring that over here. That's crazy. You're talking nonsense, right? So among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age. Or of the rulers of this age, they're doomed to pass away their wisdom. But we impart a secret hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. There is great wisdom in the things of God. And mature believers do see what God has in the days ahead. We can see it in the year of Jubilee that's coming, like we just talked about. We can see in the trouble that's scattered all around the world, things heating up all over the place. 
uh, we, we can see that. You know, why doesn't the Federal Reserve Bank take a look at the four blood moons and at what Jonathan Cain and Pastor Dean just revealed so amazingly, right, that, that there's going to be problems September 12th of 2015? Why didn't the Federal Reserve go to work and fix that? Because they think Pastor Dean's an absolute knucklehead. Well, what kind of a, a fearmonger, you know, would spread rumors like that? Why, nothing's going to happen. We've got control of this. We know how to handle the economy. We'll fix it. We can pump in more money. We can print more money. We can do whatever, you know, and they got an education in finance that I certainly don't have, and their bank account's bigger than mine, so if that's what you want to base it on, well, that's the wisdom of the world. That's what they're up against. That's what they're working with. And so what we talk about is foolishness to them. Here in this verse, I, I want to focus for a few minutes on this particular verse. It says, no, none of the rulers of this age understood this. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Did you ever think about that? What if Jesus had not been crucified? What if all the individuals that were involved in the crucifixion had gotten saved all of a sudden? Had, had recognized him as Messiah suddenly? And welcomed him as king? As they did on the triumphal entry. It says none of the rulers of this age understood this. They didn't see what was happening, and if they had been able to see it, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. What terrible condition we'd be in if he hadn't been crucified. You'd be dead in your trespasses and sins, with no hope, no help, and eternally lost if Jesus had not been crucified. That's a fact. That's not the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world is, ah, just because that guy died doesn't mean anything. Didn't do anything for me. It did for me. did for you. But think about it. What would have happened if Jesus had not been crucified? We'd still be in our sins. Ephesians uh, 2.12 says, At that time you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise. You couldn't even gotten into the Old Testament and claim some of those promises. You had to have no right to them whatsoever. You're not a Jew. They were written to the Jewish people. So you would, the Old Testament would be meaningless to you. You would have no hope and you would be without God in the world. If, if there were no resurrection. That's right where Satan wanted you. Did you know that? In the hours before the crucifixion, Satan had you right where he wanted you. You were lost and undone, and you'd put all your hope in a Savior who was just about to die. He had you in the palm of his hand. And then he made the mistake of letting Jesus be crucified because it was in that crucifixion that your salvation and your freedom was purchased. And 
the scripture says if, if he could have seen that, if he could have figured that out, he never would have allowed Jesus to be crucified. The wisdom of this world or the wisdom of this age. In fact, I was blessed by that understanding. Uh, several of the translations say the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of this world. They call Satan the ruler of this world. But the word they're translating their world is the word age or eons. And so it's a better translation to say Satan is the ruler of this time, this age. He's not the ruler of the planet. He's the ruler of the time period. And the wisdom of this time period over which Satan rules is that wisdom and philosophy that uh, goes against God entirely. 1 Corinthians one twenty. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe or the scholar? Where is the disputer of this age? A disputer is a debater or would be a lawyer, right? That's what lawyers do, they dispute. Uh, Where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the lawyers? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? So we're tempted to think and look and listen to these uh, folks that go on and on and on about how smart they are and how much they know and think that they must know what they're talking about. They must have all the answers. When in fact they're only talking the wisdom of this world which God says is absolute foolishness. God made foolish the wisdom of this world. Corinthians uh, 3.19 says, For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. Wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. For it's written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. Did you know that God set a trap for Satan? And He caught him in it. He set him up. Jesus ministered around about Galilee and so forth and, and kept coming on towards Jerusalem and debating and the Pharisees would send out spies and critics and, and ask questions and try to catch him in his word and all this because they so hated all that he was doing. The Satan sought to destroy and crush him and silence his message. And so everything led up to that fateful day of the crucifixion and all the pieces seemed to fall in place according to Satan's plan. Surely Satan was laughing up his sleeve as Jesus hung bleeding on the cross. Snickering. Thinking it's great. Until Jesus said, It is done. What, what, what do you mean? What, what do you mean by that? What kind of remark is that? What do you mean? It's done. What, what's done? What did what, what, you just do? What, what, what's done? You just killed the king of glory. And in doing so, you provided salvation for every one of his children. They were lost. They were helpless. They were hopeless. They were undone. They had no hope of salvation unless... Somebody died in their place, and you just killed the guy that died in their place. What? How can that be? Well, that doesn't make any sense, does it? Oh, yeah, it does. All those Old Testament saints that brought all those sacrifices as atonement for their sin, covering for their sin, 
in this sacrifice on the cross has been once and for all accepted and set right. God set a trap for Satan. And Satan triggered the trap. And in that trap, we have victory through Christ Jesus. You see, the wisdom of the world said, kill him. The wisdom of God said, yes, go ahead, kill him. Think about it. It was uh, Herod, wasn't it? That uh, tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby? Herod the Great. What? There's a new king in town? Wisdom of the world. I'll fix that. I'll just kill all the babies two years and under. Done deal. Go kill all those babies. They did what he ordered. Had Jesus been killed as a two-year-old baby or under two years of age baby, the plans of God would not have been fulfilled. That would have thwarted God's plan. That would have caused some kind of a mix-up or confusion that had to be redone. Yes, the Son of God came to earth. He was born and then he was killed before he accomplished anything or showed himself to the world. And so God sent an angel to Joseph and said, Joseph, get up and head to Egypt. Flee fast. Get out of town. Why? Why should I go to Egypt? Egypt's a long way. I don't have any money. I, I, I don't even know how to speak Egyptian. I think I'll stay right here. Thank God Joseph just heard the voice of the Lord took off. And God thwarted the plan of Satan to destroy that baby at age two. All the things that happened in Jesus' trial, all the what-ifs. I, I, I like to think about what-ifs. You, you play with what-ifs in your brain sometime, you know. Herod was using the wisdom of the world. He said, well, if I can kill this baby, he won't become king. Well, that's earthly wisdom, but it wasn't the wisdom of God, was it? It was later another Herod sent a message to Jesus. Remember that? It was Herod, this Herod the great son. The other Herod sent a message uh, in uh, Luke thirteen thirty-one, he says, on the very same day, uh, very days, some Pharisees came saying to him, get out and depart from here for Herod wants to kill you. There it goes again. He's a two-year-old, now he's a 30-year-old, Herod wants to kill him again. Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus says to them, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day. I shall be perfected or I'll be finished then. You better get out of town. Herod's coming after you. He's going to get you. And Jesus just said, you tell him I'm right here today. I'll be right here tomorrow. I'll be right here on the third day. After that, I think I'll wrap my work up and I may be moving on, but he'll know where to find me. Then he goes on to say, nevertheless, I have to journey today and tomorrow and the day following. It could not be that a prophet would be, would, should perish outside of Jerusalem. Herod couldn't possibly kill me down here in Galilee. It just wouldn't be right. All prophets die in Jerusalem. So Jesus just laughed at Herod. In fact, insulted Herod in the process. No. That's the wisdom of man. Herod says, well, I'll get him out of my territory. I'll scare him. He didn't send them down there to arrest him and drag him back so he could uh, behead him. He just said, go tell him if he doesn't get out of my territory, I'm going I'm to kill him. 
said, no, no, I'm right here in your territory. Here I am. I'm standing right here. Because the wisdom of man is not the wisdom of God. What if Judas had not betrayed Jesus? What if Judas would have said, wait a minute, it's wrong. He's done nothing but good. I've watched him heal the sick and raise the dead and feed the hungry. Why would I trade that 30 pieces of silver? What, what, What kind of... No. But instead, Judas took the wisdom of the world. Well, let's see. This guy keeps talking about dying, and it looks like things are coming to an end, and I've got the money bag, but there isn't much left in it. They're going to give me 30 pieces of silver if I just go and identify him. Hey, 30 bucks is 30 bucks. Did you know the story? Just moments after he did it. The very next day, he comes back to the Pharisees and says, Wait a minute. I didn't know you were going to have him killed. I didn't know that was your plan. Eh, Don't worry about it. We paid you. You can have your money back. And he went out and killed himself. You see, he'd followed the wisdom of man. And then he got a glimpse of the wisdom of God and went, Oh, 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 what a mistake I have made. One of the disciples had decided to defend Jesus on the spot. You know, there was some talk about that. Luke 22, when those around him saw what was going on, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? So the disciples, when they saw the the crowd coming to arrest him in in Gethsemane, said, well, hey, we've got a sword. Shall we fight? What if they defought? What if they all grabbed a sword and started hacking away at the the group? Because Jesus said, you came to me with clubs and spears. What if they'd have fought? Well, I kind of guess that there would have been a battle. Disciples would have died. A soldier or two might have died, but after all, they're professionals, so more likely more disciples would have died than soldiers. And in the process, Jesus might have been crucified or might have been killed in the Garden of Gethsemane. But there again, it wouldn't fulfill prophecy. It wouldn't have been the wisdom of God. Jesus said, no, put away the sword, even after Peter pulled it out and whacked some guy's ear off. No, put the sword away. This is not the right way. Allow this even to happen. Oh, was that the wisdom of man? No, wisdom of man is if you want to live, you'll fight. Take them on. You've got swords, go after them. Don't die without a fight. Jesus said, no, put the sword away. So, the struggle between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. What if Pilate would have said, listen, I've heard this guy's story. I've examined him. He's not what you say he is. He's an innocent man. I find no fault in him. And by the authority invested in me, I say you will not kill him. He had all power and authority to do that very thing. In fact, he wanted to do that thing. His wife had warned him that he'd better do that. But, you know, Pilate needed to get along with these rowdy bunch of Jews that were part of his community. So he makes a show of washing his hands and saying, I have nothing to do with it, but go ahead, take him and do whatever you want with him. That's the wisdom of man. 
trying to compromise with the world even when you know what you're doing is the wrong thing to do, but they do it anyway. What if the Sanhedrin had all received Jesus as Lord and Savior or recognized him as Messiah? Many already had. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, we know they had already come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, so what if the rest of them had been, what if they'd been able to convince them, no, this is the Messiah? There are just so many ways that the crucifixion might have been prevented if, if the enemy of this world had understood the plan of God. If he'd understood the power of the world, if they'd understood what they were doing in killing Christ, they wouldn't have done it. But they didn't understand, and they crucified and closed the trap. God has a plan for salvation. He's had a plan. The Bible tells us the plan of God's salvation started before the earth started. Before the foundation of the earth was laid, God had a plan for salvation. And it included Jesus dying on a cross for you and dying on a cross for me. And yet, when you tell people of this world that that's our salvation, they'll shake their head and laugh and say, my, 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 you're one of those Jesus freaks, aren't you? Because it just doesn't fit in the wisdom of the world. God had a plan of salvation from day one. And he brought it to pass through the ages. A plan that all would sin. Did you know that? That because of, what, what if Eve in the Garden of Eden had looked at Satan and said, are you kidding me? I wouldn't touch that fruit for all the tea in China. You know? No, God said the day I eat thereof, I'll, I'll die. I'm not going to touch you. Get out of here. Who do you think you are telling me that kind of stuff? In that case, we'd have lived in the Garden of Eden forever in joy and happiness and the perfection that God had planned for us to begin with. Amen? But no, she sinned and all have sinned since then. But then whosoever will can come. And God has brought salvation to all of us, given us acceptance and repentance. That, that passage closes with, it's written, no eye has seen or ear has heard, <clears throat> nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And while we like to apply that verse to the millennium and the eternity beyond the millennium, that verse most specifically applies to the salvation we have through Jesus Christ our Lord. It never entered into the heart of man what God had prepared for us. Salvation. It's not the high-minded things of this world. It's the simplicity of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you know that. So share it. Don't get caught in the trap of arguing some hair-splitting doctrine. Just share who Jesus is. Just tell folks what God has done in your life. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word that uh, it isn't rocket science. We don't have to have a college degree to understand your word. In fact, it takes a college degree to misunderstand it. We pray, Lord Jesus, that the simplicity of the gospel would be ours and we'd be able to explain it simply. 
friends, families, neighbors, who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives, that we would help them find Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, while right now they may think that's a bunch of silliness. It just doesn't fit with the wisdom of this world that is so sure that they came from apes and, and amoeba and all of the Darwinian evolutionary schemes. But your word says the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. So help us to share your wisdom to those who will hear us, we pray. If you're here this morning and have not acknowledged Jesus as Savior, you're trying to make it through on the wisdom of the world or on your education or on your wisdom or on your hard work or on whatever.